You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, we're in an Advent series, and today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. Now, last week when we began this, I began the series explaining uh, the difference in Advent and Christmas. So Christmas is a celebration that Jesus Christ was born, that the Messiah was born, and that he has come to rescue us. Advent is a season of time, the four Sundays before Christmas, the season of time when we pause and we meditate on our need for rescue. So Christmas is he has come to rescue us. Advent is becoming more aware of why we need rescue and looking to him with gratitude and longing and anticipation for his return, his second come. Coming. Advent is, uh, it means coming. So the word is a, comes from a Latin word and it means coming. So when we talk about Advent as Christians, we're talking about uh, remembering his first coming, that's his first Advent, and anticipating his second Advent, his return to bring in a new heavens and new earth. So this is a time for us to uh, soberly consider why did Jesus come? It's a time to sort of stare into the darkness in some ways and, and consider uh, the results of the fall, to consider that, uh, the brokenness of our world, to consider the sinfulness of humanity, to look at our own sins and to, to take a season to evaluate and to repent as the Lord calls us to as we anticipate the celebration of Christmas So during Advent, we read prophets, which we opened up today, the whole service, with Isaiah 40. So we read the prophets uh, that tell us of Christ's coming, and we encounter some of the daunting themes of Scripture. Uh, Encounter themes like sin and death and judgment. These are Advent themes because they address our need for Jesus, and they stir a longing for his coming. This week, something happened in our church that has never happened in our church family in all of our history, and that's that we gathered uh, for two funerals in two days in the same week. Now, for a church our size, that's unheard of. Uh, We have gone years at a time without a single funeral for a church member, but to have two in two days was uh, just astounding. And so on uh, Friday, we gathered and we mourned the loss of Dustin Rhymes. And then the very next day, Friday, we gathered and mourned the loss of R.J. Smith on Saturday, yesterday. And uh, in both of these funerals, uh, we were just reminded afresh in, in a stark way that death is our great enemy. It's the great enemy. But we were also reminded that Jesus is the conqueror over death. And uh, we were remembered that we have a longing uh, and an anticipation and a hope of his uh, return when we will all be resurrected. And it stirred in us a longing for Jesus to return and make all things new. That is the Advent longing. 
And uh, as I was coming after, you know, two of those, two days in a row, I just felt my own heart longing for the return of Christ. Because one of the glories of the new heaven and the new earth is you will never, as a believer, you will never attend a funeral. Because you will never shed a tear. Because there will be no sadness, no mourning, no suffering, no death ever again. And that, we live in a culture where everyone dies and where that is the headlines. Today, the headlines are how many people died today. Uh, We live in this culture where we're so aware of the brokenness and the limitations of humanity. And there's a longing for Christ to come back. Well, that is the Advent longing. But Advent is a time to stop and look at the darkness, darkness like death. Advent is not for the faint of heart. Now, we shared last week that this is not a familiar thing for many of us, uh, depending on your church tradition, but this is not a familiar thing, at least for our church. We're familiar with Christmas sermons in December, but we're not familiar with Advent sermons that prepare us for Christmas. Advent sermons acknowledge the fallen world's cold reality instead of sort of, you know, dishing out, serving up some kind of uh, holiday sentimentality. Uh, That's not what Advent is about. It's about reality. It's about looking at the big themes of Scripture, like I mentioned, death and suffering and judgment and those sorts of things. I read this week someone who was talking about their church, uh, which celebrated a traditional Advent like we're doing this year, at least in our themes, uh, that they studied the traditional themes of Advent every year at their church. And the person wrote about when they gathered as a church and said, you know, I would imagine that about half of our congregation are accustomed to the peculiar themes of Advent, and half of us are not. If the preacher starts talking about wickedness and judgment and hopelessness, half of us will smile knowingly to ourselves and think, ah, good, it's Advent again. And half of us will be wondering, what in the world is going on in this church so close to Christmas? And where are the poinsettias? That is the question that many ask. Well, each Sunday in Advent, churches for hundreds of years that that follow a liturgical pattern, that follow the church calendar, and follow the readings of the lectionary, that they, they, they have four passages for each Sunday of Advent. One of them is an Old Testament prophet, and we already heard part of that passage at the call to worship Uh, Isaiah 40. And then the gospel passage, this is unusual, the gospel passage for the second and third week of Advent both focus on John the Baptist, an unusual character in the New Testament. So we're going to follow that and uh, we're going to read Mark 1, 1 through 8, and look at this peculiar character during this peculiar season called Advent. Um, This is God's holy word, Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea, And all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. 
And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about three aspects of Advent, and again, the word means coming. So John is preparing the people for the coming of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is already alive at this point, but he hasn't kicked off his ministry of bringing the kingdom of God uh, to the people of God. So um, this is uh, an Advent sort of event. Uh, First of all, I want to talk about the urgency of Advent. Each of the Gospels begins in a different way, and usually around Christmas, we read from Matthew's Gospel and we read from Luke's Gospel because those two Gospels give a lot of detail about the birth of Jesus. But Mark begins very differently. Mark doesn't begin telling us about the birth of Jesus. No, this Gospel beginning begins with an urgency with John the Baptist on the scene, talking to us about the timing of God's kingdom. He's saying something here. He's saying something big is about to happen, something momentous, something earth-shattering and earth-impacting. Well, really, eternal is about to happen, and it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the word gospel means good news, and it's used in different ways. But here, he's not talking about the gospel like a book. We call this the gospel of Mark. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about a story. He's not talking about the gospel of a message. Like you say, preach the gospel. That's deliver the message of good news. He's using the Greek word for gospel in a a way that it's not used as frequently. It still means good news. But it has to do with the announcement of an event. The announcement of an event. And the event Coming is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the coming of the kingdom, the story of God come to earth, the, this momentous event of heaven meeting earth in Jesus Christ. That's what is happening right here that he tells us about. Matter of fact, this Greek word was used in the time this was written in the Roman world. So, for instance, the birth of the Roman emperor Augustus was called gospel because it was an announcement of an emperor's birth, the announcement of, of a, of a world-affecting event. And so here is the ultimate world-affecting event, Jesus Christ. So there's an urgency. This is huge, people, Mark tells us from the beginning. And he also tells us it's huge because he ties it to the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That's what he does from the beginning. He's saying, we knew this day was coming, this gospel, and here it is, verse 2, as it is written in, the, uh, in Isaiah the prophet. So he's quoting from hundreds of years ago. Isaiah said this would happen. Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So he goes back and he says, Isaiah the prophet told us this a long time ago, that there was going to come someone to prepare 
for the Savior. There was going to come someone who would, who would prepare the way, who would open the door, who would be the announce, who would bring an announcement, who would be the forerunner of Jesus, and that person is on the scene. That person is John the Baptist, who was prophesied about long ago. So now is the time, because after it says that, behold, I'll send my messenger, the voice of crying, of one crying in the wilderness. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing. He's saying that verse was talking about John who was here. So we've been waiting, but now is time for action. Prepare your hearts. It's, it's sort of like a, a pregnant woman. You, she waits. I, I can't, I haven't, but, but she waits. Uh, I'm married to a woman who's given birth four times. Uh, so she waits for nine months. And at the end of nine months, the sign comes. The contractions are the sign that what we've been waiting for is now here. It's time to take action. And uh, a moment of personal indulgence, family indulgence. This last uh, Monday at 2 a.m.-ish in the morning, my wife gets the call from my daughter. The contractions are happening. It's time. The baby is coming. And we welcomed uh, our first granddaughter, our fourth grandchild, but our first granddaughter, Lydia Joy, on Monday. But what happened was, it was, yeah, thank you, it was that the, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting, but now's the sign, now's the time, take action. And Mark says, you've been waiting, we've been waiting for God to send the King, the Messiah. And the sign is not a woman's contractions. The sign is that John the Baptist has shown up to prepare the way. So prepare yourself for Jesus. That's what Advent is about. It's a time to pause and to think, uh, you know, everything is not right in the world. Everything is not right with me. But Jesus comes to rescue us through his first coming that John talks about. And he will return to bring a new heaven and new earth and bring ultimate rescue to us at his second coming. So in the meantime, we prepare our hearts for his coming. And we do so with an urgency. We share this message with an urgency. The coming of Jesus is not a message. His first coming or his second coming is not a message to receive with apathy and complacency. And well, that's an interesting story. It's a message to hear and to respond with an urgency. And that's what John tells us. This is the world event, the gospel. We've been hearing about it for hundreds of years. Now is the time. The urgency of of uh, Advent. Secondly, I want to talk about the location of Advent. Because there's something going on here with John that I think is significant for us to think about. The location of waiting, the location of preparation for his coming is the wilderness. John is this unusual character who lives out in the wilderness. And he calls people to leave their comfort and to leave what they're familiar with. Leave your routine and come out to the desert and hear this voice. Like many of God's prophets, John is different. Uh, not a little different. He's a lot different. He, he's one of those guys that maybe you feel a little bit uncomfortable around because he's very different. I'm sure he was a loving man, but the picture we get of him here is that he's a little bit of a wild-eyed prophet, that if you're around him, you just might feel a little unsettled. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? What does he know? You know, that kind of a guy 
He's not mainstream. Uh, yeah, he's not binging Netflix this morning. Uh, he's not scrolling through TikTok and laughing at a dance video. That's not John the Baptist. He's not riding his Peloton this year, 2020, to drop a few pounds to fit in his camel's hair outfit to strap up with his big leather belt that's going to be notched one looser if he doesn't get on the Peloton. No, that's not him. He's a radical who doesn't even live in town with everybody else. He's not even in town. He's not at the coffee shop. He's at the desert. He's in the wilderness out there by himself because his lifestyle matches his message. And his message was a protest against God's people growing comfortable. A protest against God's people being spiritually complacent, just drifting along in life. He lives a protest, and so he's out separate, and he draws people out to the wilderness to give them a wake-up call, to say, people, the world is not okay, and you're not okay. Repent and prepare yourself for the coming of the righteous king. He's calling people, Israel, to national repentance. And and he's out there in these desert clothes, right? The passage says that he he was clothed, verse 6, with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. So this was some kind of getup that looked like a nomad, some kind of desert rat, some, some wilderness dweller kind of a guy. And he's out there, he's not eating what everybody else is eating. You know, everybody else has got whatever they're eating, but he has got locusts and wild honey. He lives a different life because he's, not, he's, he's communicating in the desert, living a desert life, dressing like a desert person, and, and, and calling people to the desert to give up their complacency and to repent. Um, it just doesn't seem real Christmassy, I guess, to think about John the Baptist. But he's a character that churches hundreds, uh, I mean, uh, for hundreds of years and all over the world today, churches that follow the Advent tradition are reading about John the Baptist. One person wrote, Fleming Rutledge, in her, uh, her book on Advent, she wrote this, it would be hard to say which is more alien to our contemporary ideas of getting ready for Christmas, the season of Advent, or the figure of John the Baptist. All around the world today, words are being read in the churches that seem ill-suited, to say the very least, to the anticipated holidays. You brood of vipers. How would you like to get that on a Christmas card? But there it is. This is the second Sunday of Advent, and this is John the Baptist's day. We read his story because he is the ultimate one who prepared for the coming, who awaited the coming, who was, uh, who was helping God's people set their hearts and focus on the hope of the coming Savior. And, and so this is the Advent Story. Look at verses 4 and 5, what John does. It says he appears baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So they're going out to be baptized him. Now, it's, it's not the same kind of baptism that we observed this morning. This was Christian baptism. What John is doing is very unique because Jews, this is before Christ came. He's about to come, right? He's alive, but his ministry, he's about to show up and preach the kingdom of God. 
So Jews weren't baptized. If you were a Gentile and you were a convert uh, to, to Judaism, there were baptisms that took place, but a Jew wasn't baptized. When, when a Christian's baptized, it represents what we saw this morning, someone who acknowledges the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ as, as the one who saves us from our sins and gives us new life. And the person being baptized is saying, just when Christ did that, I am in Christ. I, by faith, identify with his work for me, and I'm giving testimony to that allegiance to him and to recognize that he has saved me. That's what a Christian baptism is. This baptism that John had was sort of neither of those. It was a baptism of repentance, meaning a baptism to get ready. They were preparing their hearts. They were sort of acknowledging they were sinners and then sort of uh, going into the waters of baptism to represent that they were leaving their sins, that they were repenting and changing. The word repent means to change their mind. They were changing their mind and changing their actions to prepare for Christ's coming. So that's what's, that's what's going on in the passage. They are out there in the wilderness, and they are preparing for Christ, being baptized, and now they are awaiting the promise because John says he's coming. There's someone after me, verse 8, that I've uh, plunged you in the water, but he's going to plunge you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit. So the people of Israel are in the wilderness, getting baptized, and then they're awaiting a a promise. This is really deja vu, because Israel had been in this exact circumstance before. This scene is meant to remind us of what happened a very long time ago when Israel was in the wilderness. Mark's not using language that's just sort of, well, that's a coincidence. No, this is very intentional what's happening here. Uh, Israel was once separated from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. Egypt represented the dominating, overlording, enslaving power of the world, of the gods of the world and the ways of the world. And they were freed from Egypt. They were freed through the Red Sea, and then they were taken to the wilderness where they were called to wait for the promise. They were to repent. They were to trust God, which they didn't do a very good job of trusting God, but they were to trust God and then await entry into the promised land. So they were separated from Egypt through the water, taken into the wilderness, and waiting on the promise to enter the promised land. That's exactly what happens here. They're they're separated from their sins, so to speak, in baptism as they repent, and they're standing there in the wilderness, they're hearing the message from John the Baptist, and they're awaiting the promise. Not of a land, but the promised king, Jesus, who has come will come for them. What's going on here is that Mark is telling us this is a second exodus and that, the, that ultimately the first temple and the first land all pointed to Christ who would come and fulfill God's purposes. Christ who would come, God in the flesh, to tabernacle among his people. That is the promise. They're not waiting on the land. They're waiting on verse 1, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is how the whole event begins with people awaiting him. The location of Advent is the desert. The wilderness is a place where Israel waits for the promise relies upon God. Could it, could it be that God calls us to the desert, to the wilderness during Advent? 
maybe you feel like you're already in a, in a desert. But that, the desert is a picture. The, the wilderness is a picture throughout Scripture of where God works in his people's lives. And I think it's a good, it's a good thing for us to consider today because it's so easy for us during this season to just, just move into the celebration of Christmas without really pausing and looking at the desert of our lives and anticipating and longing for Christ and looking, asking for his renewing power by the Spirit. Maybe you feel like you're already in a desert. You say, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a financial desert. Or there's a relationship, an important relationship I have, and it is just like the, we're out in the wilderness. It's not working. We are struggling. Maybe you're, you're in the wilderness of a health situation. Or maybe your family feels uh, like, man, we're, we're not flourishing. The desert's not a picture of flourishing. We're not flourishing. We're not bearing a lot of fruit in this marriage or in our family, with our children, with our parents, our extended family. We're not really bearing fruit. This feels like a desert that I'm in, a wilderness that I'm in. Maybe it's that way with your work or your job or some other area of your life. God puts us in wilderness spots so that we see afresh our need for him. He, he, he puts us in wilderness, in desert spots, so that we, we leave the comforts of Jerusalem and go out to the desert and realize we need God. We, we realize in the wilderness all the idols that we rely on, all the places we go when God is not enough for us. All the addictive patterns in our life, places we go for comfort, to comfort ourselves, to escape. All the places we, we're out in the wilderness, we don't have those escapes. They're gone. In the wilderness, it's a place where we say, God, I need you. And the reason we're doing an Advent series this year is to stop and pause and say, look at the wilderness, look at the barren, look at the desert spots in your own soul, in your own life, and don't quickly get, we're all for the lights and the tree and the gifts, hey, you got to do your shopping, all that, okay? But don't quickly just hide and escape with all that stuff, but pause and take inventory and cry out to the Lord in the dry places. We use this imagery in our own language. I'm in a dry season. I feel like I'm in a dry place with the Lord. You hear that kind of language. Well, this is a place to look at the dry places of our lives and cry out, God, meet us. Spirit of God, renew us. We long for your coming to make all things new. And in the meantime, before you return, would you strengthen and sustain us to bear fruit in this life? We repent of the false places we go. We turn from the pleasures which do not last. We turn from all of the things that prop us up when we have pain in our soul. And we come and we bear our burden, bear our soul to you and say, come and meet us. That's Advent as we prepare for Christmas. And that's what the people of God are doing out in the wilderness once again. So there's the urgency of Advent, the location of Advent, the desert. And here we'll wrap up with this, the hope of Advent. Sometimes John the Baptist is called the patron saint of preachers. I'm not sure preachers have a patron saint, but they say he's the patron saint of preachers because John the Baptist is presented, this is his identity. He's nothing but a voice. He's just a voice. His whole purpose is to point people to Jesus, who is so great 
so holy, so wonderful that John the Baptist says, I'm not even qualified to be Jesus's slave. I can't even bend down and loosen the strap of his sandal like, like, a, like a slave may have done to remove the sandals and wash the feet of a person. I, I'm not even qualified to do that. He is so great. You see, John the Baptist, his, his whole life mission was to prepare the way for Christ. His whole reason for being was to point to another person, not to draw a following for himself, not to impress others, not to do something great for himself, but to, to, to prepare people to encounter Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said something startling. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it's easy to pass it over. In Luke 7, Jesus said this about John the Baptist. He said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Whoa. He says, nobody is greater than John the Baptist. You got Abraham, you got Moses, you got King David, you got all the prophets. There's some pretty significant folks who followed God. But he says, nobody is as great as John the Baptist. Why? Because he's the greatest prophet who introduced Jesus. Well, that's true, but I don't think that's why he's talking about. Because he's the Hebrew prophet that is closest to Jesus on the timeline, I don't think that's it. I think John is the greatest because his passion is always to focus on Jesus and turn attention to him. He, he says things like this. When Jesus comes, he says, behold the lamb. Look, look, that's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. G John the Baptist is not enamored with how many people are coming out to the wilderness for his repentance festival. I mean, he's not like how many folks came through, you know, he's not, he's not propping up his own ministry. He said this, I must decrease. My goal is to become smaller. I must decrease. Jesus must increase. That's why he's the greatest, because his whole life is, it's not about me. I want to shrink, and I want him to be magnified in everybody. And it's not some fake humility. This is where he really lived. This is, this is what he was all about. So when he does the baptism, he even says right there, hey, this is significant. You people are repenting. You brood of vipers are repenting. He said a little stronger. You bunch of snakes are repenting. That's great. But let me tell you, as great as this all is out in the desert together, you know, at the retreat, as great and meaningful as this mountaintop experience is, there's somebody else coming that is so great that I'm below his slave Jesus, who will fill you with the Spirit, who will grant you a new heart by the Spirit, who will change you from the inside out, who will give you gifts that you didn't even know existed so that you can be about his mission of preaching the gospel. Jesus, who will build a people together of every tribe, nation, and tongue, Jew and Gentile, young and old, male and female, all one in Jesus. He's going to do something by the Holy Spirit. He's going to plunge you in the Spirit, unite you with himself by the Spirit, and he's going to do something I can't even describe. So anticipate him. Look to him. Long for him. Prepare your heart for him. Let go your sins. Don't hang on to these petty little substitutes for God. Humble yourself in repentance and be consumed with his greatness because he's about here. That's what John says. 
This is the hope of Advent, that, John, that, that Jesus changes us by the power of the Spirit. The timing of Advent is now. John says, the gospel is right now. The event is right now. The prophets have said John's come. John's come. So now it's time for Jesus. The, the Advent is now. Prepare your heart now. Now we look back and say, Jesus did come. What's amazing it's how passionate John is, how focused on Jesus is. And, and if you've read the New Testament, if you've read the Gospels, you know more about Jesus than John the Baptist. We know the cross. We know the resurrection. We know the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. We know the building of the church. We know the promise of how he'll return. We know more about Jesus than John the Baptist does in the wilderness. We have every reason all the more to repent and long for his return. So the timing is urgent now to to turn and trust him afresh or for the first time. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, as these young people gave testimony uh, in the waters of baptism this morning, now is the time. You may die. Christ may return soon. Uh, No one's guaranteed time. Now is the time to repent and to get your life right by receiving what Christ has done for you, to have your sins forgiven, to receive new life, and to receive the confidence that Christ will return for you, that you'll receive eternal life. The location of Advent, well, that's the desert, again, to review. You know, when I ask you today, uh, they were called out of comfort to the desert to repent And to lean into the promise of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Where have you grown comfortable? Where is God calling you to be stripped of your idols and to lean on him in the sweet place? Because the desert becomes an oasis when you encounter the Holy Spirit there. (laughs) To come to the desert to encounter him. Where have you grown comfortable? What, What sins in your life, what secret sins are you accommodating today instead of killing? Where are you accommodating sin? What, what relational brokenness do you have in your life that you're just accepting? That's just the way it is. That you're ignoring. What relational brokenness are you ignoring today? How are you taking God for granted? Where are you presuming upon his grace? Grace is a gift, but it's not a gift to us so that we don't follow Christ. We don't receive grace so that we may sin more and more, Paul says. But we receive grace to alert us to the holiness of God and to empower us to follow him little by little, more and more. Where has your conscience become desensitized? So what used to sting your conscience stings it less. Where there used to be the voice of conviction, it's muffled and it's distant. And pretty soon it'll be silent. Where is it in your life today during this Advent season? Where is it that your conscience has been desensitized? Where is your spiritual alertness grown drowsy? You were alert to the Lord. See, this is a time to, to be renewed in the spirit, to recover by God's grace, that spiritual alertness that you once knew. Where is it that your compromise has just become a normal lifestyle. Advent is the time to see our need, to repent, to turn to Jesus in faith, to turn from our cheap imitations and run back to the King of glory. That's the hope of Advent. He is our eternal hope. 
we do, when, we do, when we turn to him, we will receive afresh his forgiveness. We'll enjoy his forgiveness. We'll enjoy the blessing of a clean conscience, renewed by his spirit. We'll, we'll be restored into his purposes, living with the urgency of Christ and his work and his second coming. There's an urgency to anticipating Christ and his return that awakens us to our calling and to our purpose, to embrace the very purpose that John embraced, which is it's not about me. I want my life to point to another. I want my relationships to point to him. I want my words to point to him. I want my attitudes to point to him. I want the way I work in the workplace to be evident that Christ has changed me. I want my marriage and my parenting or the way I relate to my parents or my extended family. I want it to look like I've encountered Jesus. So, Lord, would you renew and restore this Advent season? The hope of Advent, it's because of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection that we're changed by the Holy Spirit when we believe. And it's his spirit that renews us in the desert and promises uh, and the promise of his return. So his spirit renews us in desert places And we are fresh or stirred by the promise that he will return. And until that day, he will sustain us by his power. That's what it means to be Advent people. And really, we're called to be Advent people not for Sundays uh, or during family devotions this month or during a devotional reading this month. But really, we're to live as Advent people who live empowered by the work of his first coming and live with an urgency and a longing for his second coming that sustains us to be his witnesses and his representatives on earth. Let's stand together and we're going to close today, rather than me praying, we're going to close with a congregational prayer. And this is an Advent tradition that many churches uh, do as well. So we're going to read from the Book of Common Prayer. This would be a prayer read perhaps in the Anglican Church and some other traditions uh, from the Book of Common Prayer from the Church of England. But it's a, it's a prayer that I thought beautifully allows us to respond at Advent with, uh, with uh, really uh, hundreds of thousands of people, millions, who will be praying this prayer in churches all over the world today and have for hundreds of years. But let's pray this prayer corporately as a response to what we heard from Mark 1. May God grant us grace. So here's the prayer we can read together. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.